everyone, before you get started on this episode, I just want to let everybody know that I have renamed the show Historically Haunted, and I also changed up my formula from the episode. So what you're about to listen to is an older version of the show. The new show is a lot better. I hope you guys stick around to listen to the much newer episodes that started at episode 18. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm now at Historically Haunted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you guys want to email me any personal paranormal experiences or just say hi, you can email me now at historicallyhaunted.313 at gmail.com. And I have my links to all my new stuff down below. So I hope you guys enjoy and I hope you guys stick around for the newer stuff. All right, let's roll that old tape. For 30 years, he said, I've sailed the seas and seen good and bad, better and worse, fair weather and foul, provisions running out, knives going and whatnot. Well, I tell you now, I've never seen good come of goodness yet. Him that strikes first is my fancy. Dead men don't bite. Them's my views. Amen. So it be. A quote from Robert Louis Stevenson from the book Treasure Island. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my fourth episode of History and Mystery, a place where we discover the truly unexplained things that go bump in the night and history's past. My name is Ariel, and I will be your host for this evening. Boy, did this week get away from me. I was invited to a great friend of ours wedding, and it was 10 hours away, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I've got time to do this. And then I realized, oh, no, I don't, because I'm going to be in the car a whole day basically driving one way and then a whole day driving back home after the wedding. So my podcast is a couple of days late. I'm really sorry about that. I'll try not to make that happen, but life happens. Congratulations to the happy couple. Thank you guys so much for in the invite. It was a beautiful wedding and my boyfriend and I had a lot of fun. Before I get started, as you guys could probably tell, I'm doing an episode on pirates and the pirate house, specifically in Savannah, Georgia. This place doesn't only have a good reputation for great southern food, but it also has a reputation for hauntings. So I can't wait to discuss that. And I'm also doing a quick little backstory on Savannah, Georgia as a whole. I would love to do more about Savannah, Georgia, so I left it a little open-ended because there's a couple more places I want to come back and do other episodes of in the future. Before I get to my monster of the week, I just wanted to say that I'm now on Instagram. Please follow me at history underscore mystery 13. Also, you can get in contact with me through Twitter at my account, History and Mystery, and also on my Facebook page, History and Mystery, of course, and I also have a Facebook group that is also called History and Mystery. I'd love to contact with you guys, and of course, Halloween is coming up in just a couple of months. I can't believe it. This year really went by very fast. I would love to do listener stories, so if anybody has a fantastic spooky story or maybe even a run-in with a cryptid or UFO, I would love to tell the story on my my show for 
um, Halloween. That's my plan anyway. I will definitely at least be telling my story. So if anybody has any uh, paranormal uh, stories that they'd love for me to cover, you can email me at my Gmail account, historyandmystery.13 at gmail.com. I, of course, will keep you name anonymous if you'd like, and I will only use your name if you give me permission. Last but not least, I sound really stuffed up because I am, but it's not because I have a cold. I'm having really bad allergies. We are having this crazy weather where this heat is ridiculous and everything is dying off and I get the fall allergies more than the spring. I get the allergies from the dead pollen, not the blooming flowers. So right now I am currently kind of dying. But please bear with me because I have a great show and we are going to start that off with, of course, our Monster of the Week. Our monster of the week is known as the Altamaha-ha. Yes, I said that right. The Altamaha-ha is said to dwell in the Altama River in the state of Georgia. The Altama River stretches 137 miles and runs through the center of Georgia and is the third largest body of water to bring fresh water into the Atlantic Ocean. The Altamaha is basically what I could tell the South's version of the Loch Ness Monster. This monster is said to look like a cross between a sturgeon, a crocodile, and a seal, and apparently it swims more like a dolphin. It measures about 30 feet long. Some accounts say it's even bigger than that. It sounds like a really weird combination, but when I was able to Google and look at the picture, it just looks like pretty much the Loch Ness Monster, like your basic Nessie. It has a nickname that the locals call Alti, which... Honestly, with a name like Altamaha, I don't blame them for wanting to call it something a little shorter. The area that this river goes through is covered with old rice fields and marshland, so it really has plenty of places to hide. Since there's never been any trace evidence of this beast, um, then again, is it really a monster or a cryptid story if there is trace evidence? It is normally seen basking in the sun up on shore or casually swimming down the river, but don't get too close. There are tales of it uh, being very threatening and even hissing at passersby if they got too close with their boats. The native people have reportedly known about this creature for thousands of years, but the first non-native report came in on April 18, 1830 by a correspondent from the Savannah Georgian newspaper, and he reported on multiple sightings of Alti by sailors along the coastline of Georgia and then again further inland down the river. The most famous eyewitness was a captain named Captain Delano. He was... Um, the most famous eyewitness because apparently he was a really straight shooter and he didn't make up a lot of uh, sea tales like a lot of other captains did. Um, so he reported uh, spotting the creature when he was on his ship um, that was a schooner called the Eagle. And he reported seeing a large creature off the South Simmons Island below the mouth of the Altima River. So basically where the river comes out into the Atlantic Ocean. He said it was about 70 feet long and the circumference was the size about of a barrel um, all the way down. And he had remembered that the head resembled 
a giant-sized alligator with massive teeth. Five of his shipmates also said that they saw the same creature, and several planters on the island of the Fort Simmons area also claimed to have seen it that day and the day after. After that, it popped up again in the 1920s when a timberman said that he spotted Alti when he was running a ship with timber in it. Um, from up north, and then again in 1935 by hunters who were hunting in the area, and then it popped up again in the 1940s by a Boy Scout troop that was camping along the river as well, and then it came out again in the 1950s by two officials who were doing a patrol around the side of the um, Reedsville State Prison. They said they spotted it in the in the river along the riverbed there. Two brothers were fishing when they claimed to have seen it in 1969. And then there are three separate claims of people seeing it at different times in the 1980s. One thing that I can't get over when doing all my research on these monsters is how many of these cryptids seem to just come and go in spurts. It's, uh, I find it really fascinating. So they kind of come out like for a couple of times this time frame and then they disappear for a while and they're seen again. So I don't know if I contribute that to mass hysteria where one person says they see it and then everybody sees it and then people slowly forget about it. That's always a possibility. But you never know. If you're ever near the waterways of Altima River, make sure that you keep an eye out for this monster and uh, please get a picture of it. Savannah, Georgia has a rich history that is filled with majesty and hauntings. If there was ever a town to be haunted by many different generations of spirits, it would definitely be this one. And trust me when I say I will be back to do more episodes about Savannah because I know I will be back. I am just going to do a quick brief history of the city first and then we'll move on to discuss the history of the actual pirate house, which is what I'm going to be mostly discussing about tonight. So again, you're getting a history lesson inside of a history lesson. So sit back, relax, sip some tea, maybe drink some rum since this is a pirate story and enjoy. Savannah's recorded history began during the colonial period in February 1733 when General James Oglethorpe, what a name, with a ship of 120 passengers came to the New World along the Savannah River. It was named after King George II, but of course, as with everything in America's history, uh, the Indians were here first. But luckily for this colony, the leader of this colony became friends with the Indian chief Tamakuni of the Yamaka tribe. If anyone knows actually how to pronounce that, shoot me an email. Uh, because of this friendship, the colony was able to live peacefully and did not have to be afraid of Indian attack like other earlier colonies in America. It made it a very rich colony very quickly because of this. In the early years, the people of Savannah were free to worship whoever they wanted. Rum, lawyers, and slavery were all forbidden 
as well, which lawyers, it makes me laugh that that was forbidden. But as you will see in a bit, uh, that did not stop people from smuggling rum into the city. Savannah is America's uh, first planned out city. So Oglethorpe set up a city as a series of grids that he had um, made on a map first. So there were beautiful wide streets with nice shady public squares and parks that often served as towns meeting places and was also used as uh, centers for business. Savannah had 42 original town squares and 22 are still around today. A lot of other cities and towns around the area uh, copied Savannah with the whole like small town feel with the gazebo in the center and all that. That was kind of done first in Savannah, Georgia. When the Revolutionary War broke out, the British took over Savannah and held it from 1778 to 1789. American troops, with the help of French, tried to retake the city in 1779 with a sea and by land assault, but it failed. After the American won the independence, however, Savannah was once again became a city that flourished. Even though the city dealt with two really bad fires, one in 1796 and one in 1820, that left half of the city of Savannah burned to the ground. That happened twice, but the people rebuilt each time. The farmers uh, discovered that cotton and rice grew amazingly well there and also peaches. And in the area, slavery was then legalized because of the workload that would be needed to pick all of those and maintain the crops. Um, when the slave trade began in the area and the plantations were in full swing, cotton exchange was booming and Savannah was a city to rival the city of Charleston for a commercial port. Cotton was king. That is until the Civil War broke out in 1861. The town before the Civil War was said to be the most picturesque city in America with its Spanish moss and beautiful grand oaks. When General William T. Sherman made his famous and infamous march to the sea, he said that he was so impressed by the beauty of the city that he could not destroy it. And that's really saying something, considering that Sherman was borderline crazy and burned every city in his path uh, to, in his mind, quote, quote, punish the South. Uh, very interesting person. Um, but he, when he got to that city, he loved it so much that he just couldn't do it. And he sent a telegram to President Lincoln in December telling him that he kept it the way it was and offered it as a Christmas present to the president, which is really bizarre. Uh, once the Civil War ended and the Reconstruction began and the economy was in, of course, ruins after that. But the newly freed African-Americans uh built a thriving community. They built their own church, schools, and business, and it became one of the historically significant African-American cities in the nation. Today, it is a beautiful city once again, with historical tours and ghost tours to take, many stores to shop in, and oh, so many restaurants with that good Southern food. The charm of this city has never died away, thanks to the historical efforts to save old buildings, and one of those is the Pirate House. <laughs> I told you we'd get to it. The Pirate's House is not only a famous restaurant, but it is also historically impressive. The Pirate's House is located on the east side of what is known as the Savannah's Historical District. It is one of the oldest and reportedly most haunted buildings in all of Savannah. Considering the history of this town, that is a bold claim. 
From what I could see from a video I watched is that this historic restaurant is that there are a, there's a small building next to it that is called the Herb House, and then it is connected by a couple like an like an upstep into the larger what is now the restaurant and used to be the uh, Pirates Inn. So what people now consider the main building is called the Herb House, and that's the smaller building. And that building dates back to 1753 and was then known as Trustee's Garden. It was the first ever public experimental garden in the United States of America. They tried to grow lots of things, and this is a very short list, but some of these things included cotton, hemp, tobacco, mulberry trees, peaches, and grapes, and there was a lot more. But the only problem was everything died. So they shut the garden down. The only things that was able to grow in the area was cotton and peaches at that time. The first cotton and peaches to be grown in the United States was grown right on the property where the pirate's house now stands. After the garden was shut down, the house had a perfect spot not far away from the river. So out went the garden and in went the inn. The first building to be constructed on the former garden site was an inn for visiting sailors since Savannah had become a bustling seaport by this time. Savannah, Georgia also had a tunnel system that ran from the river to the shops. Uh, since back then, it was not easy to get goods up the cliffside that the town of Savannah sat on. The tunnels were used to, of course, smuggle rum into the town when rum was once banned for a short time, and a few tunnels did run right into the basement of the now pirate's house, which was back then an inn. Sadly, the tunnels were not only used for smuggling goods into the inn, they were also used to smuggle people out. During this time, men were often what they called shanghaied and taken away to forcibly work on ships as slaves or be thrown over the side. So they didn't have a choice. Many men who went to this inn would let their guard down and pass out from too much drink or have been drugged and wake up on a ship miles from land, never to see their families again. One of the last tunnels that you can still see today in all of Georgia was found by plumbers who were installing a new bathroom in 1962 in the pirate's house. They have since put a railing around it so you can now see into it and it is still one of the only tunnels that you can actually peek into in all of Savannah. The inn survived many fires that devastated the whole town, but the inn was left standing every time. Many murders and brawls and bar fights, gunfights, you name it, were said to have happened in the inn and gambling and prostitution was always happening in the upstairs portion of the building. By the mid 1900s, pirates had become more of a thing of the past, just told in stories and books and on the silver screen. By World War II, the building had fallen into disrepair, though it was still intact. In 1945, a gas company in Savannah bought the property and slated the building for demolition. Luckily for us, it was saved by the wife of the president of the gas company, Miss Mary Hindler. She, along with some other local ladies, took over the building to restore it to its former glory. And thank goodness she did, because with the help of local historical society, she and her friends were able to restore it, turning it into a restaurant that it is today. And they did a lot of uh, historical accuracy to the building as well. A lot of the bricks are still the same from the 1700s. And also, trust me when I say that I had no problems finding any ghost stories about this restaurant. <laughs> they say dead men tell no tales, but in this pirate's house, they still seem to have a lot to say.
Like I said, this place, dead men do tell tales. And this inn during the daytime is a family-friendly restaurant, but at night and when no one is there, when the staff is getting ready for the day, the spooks seem to come out to play. A ghost tour company called Ghost Trolley Tour does a tour of the pirate's house along with the dinner inside of it. It is described as a two and a half hour tour that takes you on an informative historical and spooky ghost sightings ride on a trolley throughout the historical district. They point out several haunted locations along the way and tell you stories at each one. They also have character actors come on the trolley at certain times to add to the old stories feel. Apparently, there is even a very La Llorona type of story here. Uh, on, it is set on the streets um, around the outside of the pirate house. Um, there is a woman named Alice Riley who is seen wandering around parts of town crying and screaming while she is searching for her lost child that died of in the uh, scarlet fever epidemic that ravaged the South in 1878. And those stories are always so tragic. I hate hearing about stories like that. But after you tour some cemeteries and other local houses around the area, your tour ends at the Pirate's House, where a guide will take you off the trolley and on a trip around the inside of the Pirate's House and tells you its stories and hauntings within. And then lastly, you finish upstairs in the main dining room for a Southern-style buffet while being entertained with even more history and ghost stories. Shadow figures have been said to have been seen passing throughout the dining room area, along with ghostly apparitions. There is a um, sensations of being watched when the staff is alone in the building and setting up for the day ahead or cleaning up after work. The staff has also reported um, while they're working to get ready to open up, they feel this eerie feeling only to have looked up to see a seaman standing there and staring at them. He stayed long enough that a lot of the staff can take in every detail of his clothing to his hair to his eyes, and then he just disappears in front of their eyes. Footsteps can be heard echoing throughout the restaurant on quiet evenings. The sound of heavy boots going up the stairs is also heard as well. Before all the tunnels were blocked off, people claimed to hear ghostly moans and screams coming from the tunnels, as if sailors were still being kidnapped and dragged down through the tunnels. Anomalies have been said to have been seen in photos that are taken uh, outside and inside of the pirate's house, but I am always wary of photos because a lot of them can always be explained and debunked. Orbs, for instance, are almost always dust or bugs, and reflections can be distorted really easy by glass, especially in mirrors and windows, the way it's bent. Old glass is never flat like our glass today. Um, however, sometimes photos can be a way to see what the human mind and the naked eye can't always see. The most popular ghost story is about spotting Captain Flint, who is a captain from the book Treasure Island. He apparently, in the book, died in the inn and people swear to see him. The only problem here is, um, there was no real Captain Flint because he was a fictional character. But what I'm wondering is, could this possibly be a real old pirate captain um, from the past that people see and they just have grown to call him Captain Flint? Because I found a lot of sightings of him and it's weird to me that a fictional character would be seen, but I wonder if it's just mistaken identity. It might actually be a captain and everyone just might call him Captain Flint. You never know. 
Cold spots, disembodied voices, and footsteps and more are also heard in the basement, along with an apparition being seen out of the corner of one's eye. I was also able to run across a story. It was very hard to find actual eyewitness accounts of these places, um, but I found one on a blog post that I just found, and someone claimed that they used to work in the inn, and she swears that one day when she was in the basement doing some um, restocking of things, she saw a ghost uh, figure walk through the tunnel entrance in the basement as if it was going through the tunnel, but the tunnels have been blocked, so there's no possible way for anyone to actually go in there. So she said that was really frightening and weird, but that was the only actual account um, typed out that I could find other than, you know, what the ghost um, stories or tours say on their website, and uh, they really embrace the ghosts here. They have a lot of different tours in this area, and the whole town... Um, was just definitely added to my list of must visits. Um, I am definitely going to go and do uh, this amazing tour as well. They also have this really fun tour that I don't think it goes to the pirate house, but it sounds fun. It is called Nightly Spirits, and yes, spirits as in alcohol. It is a pub crawl that also tells you haunting stories along the way, so that sounds like a lot of fun. But this place sounds amazing. I will definitely be going to the pirate house when I visit Georgia someday. Um, these stories I always tell makes me want to travel and visit all these places, and I will definitely be doing that in the future. With all the history that I just said, it's no wonder to think that the pirate's house, it could be haunted. There was so much going on, so much activity and deaths and sad reasons like for people to be taken out of there and getting shanghai that's a lot of negative energy but also fun energy too i wonder if any old sea captains died and came back just to keep partying on in the afterlife you never know that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much for listening to History and Mystery, where I'm always covering hauntings and historical locations. Before you run off, make sure to hit that subscribe button below, give me a comment, and leave me a review. Thank you guys so much for all those lovely reviews and comments. I have been getting a few already, and I'm just blown away that people actually like my podcast. Thank you guys so much. So again, if anyone would like to contact me, you can do that at History and mystery.13 at gmail.com and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I am still trying to fight Spotify to get my podcasts up. I don't know what is wrong with it, but it is not going up. I literally can see it and I'm the only one that can see it right now, but I am still in contact, but I am, oh, I am up on Himalaya now. I forgot to say that. So yay, I'm up on the Himalayan app. So thank you guys oh so much. I cannot wait to see you back here in two weeks for my next episode. You guys all have a fantastic week. I will see you soon. Bye.